Bienvenidos, marhaban, and welcome to the Never Never Podcast, rereading the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm your host, Christine. I'll be releasing multi-chapter analysis episodes for each book, and I have plans for special bonus topic episodes. The Never Never Podcast may include spoilers from all sources, including the books, short stories, graphic novels, and blog posts, interviews, and panels from the butcher himself. The Dresden Files features mature themes, including sexuality, fantasy violence, and very real violence. Also, I'm terrible at watching my fucking language, so the Never Never podcast is intended for mature audiences, despite having playful, if not childish, tendencies. Happy Pride Month, ladies and gentle dems! Apologies for the wait for this episode. Some personal things came up, but here we are now. I've got a couple of items unrelated to our two chapters this time. The first is a thought that should have been included in the last episode, and the second is a short statement on the current conflict in America between the people and the police, both of which I'll take care of here as quickly as I can. Before we get to the outstanding character introductions and world building, we'll discuss ahead, so stay tuned. 1. Magical drugs and their large-scale criminal sale is part of the plot of Stormfront. So far, there have been a few mentions of drugs, most accompanied by derogatory references to drug users. Current research in psychology and psychiatry identifies regular drug use, that is, beyond experimental or occasional use, as a sign of attempting to self-medicate the suffering caused by trauma, mental illness, or severe stress. The word junkie disparages of weakness, like a lack of self-control or moral fiber, a piteous state of having chosen, being controlled, and ruined by something. There is usually a measure of choice involved in drug use, and many habitual users do so seemingly to avoid responsibility or to indulge in frivolous pleasure-seeking. Even when this is the conscious reasoning, it is often masking a deep need to escape emotional pain that is not being addressed or treated. I will be trying to avoid using this word from now on, except to directly quote the text. 2. Black Lives Matter. This statement is not racism or reverse racism, a point I've had to argue against in my personal life recently. This statement is not exclusive, claiming that only black lives matter. This statement is a simple fact, reminding us as a community as a voting populace, especially if you are not black. Do not overlook the injustice and violence inherent in our society, aimed at those who do not look like the established majority white male government. This is a personally important issue to me. While I have no African heritage, I have two brothers-in-law, two nephews, an ex-husband, and two children who do. They are accomplished musicians, athletes, honors students, college graduates, computer experts, video game tournament champions, server mods, video game designers. And it horrifies me that I may lose any one of them someday because of skin-deep suspicion. And this all feels so hopeless, but there are things we all can do uh, support Black-owned businesses. Two of my favorite Black content creators are linked in the description. 
In addition to keeping your distance and wearing your mask, watch out for each other. If you see police violence and it is legal where you are, record it and make it public. Testify if need be. Vote for reform. Help make your community and my family safe. So that said, let's draw our circle and step through the way to the never never. Episode three, both benevolent and wise, recorded June 17th, 2020, covering Stormfront, book one, chapters six and seven, in this episode. Harry continues his investigation and continues collecting challenges, which seem to leave him no attractive options. Toot Toot, the Dewdrop Fairy's slightly coerced help, uncovers that Victor Sells was sporting with someone. Poor Monica Sells. We meet the White Council Warden, assigned to breathe down Harry's neck until Harry screws up. The Doom of Damocles means one strike and you're out, after all. Too bad Morgan thinks Harry is the magical murderer. Now with no more ado, here is your synopsis. Chapter 6, Toot Toot and the Pizza Truck Harry heads out to the Swank Lake House to have a poke around the outside. He finds a red plastic film canister in the grass. Interesting. Harry gets the impression that this house is not for Victor's family, but a personal getaway. A love nest, maybe, or a private occult lair. Everything is locked, and he hasn't been invited in. Thresholds, manners, and a security system keep Harry from entering. No one's home, but maybe Sells has been here this week. Time to find some witnesses. Harry traps a local dewdrop fairy in a magic circle and negotiates some info for Toot Toot's release. Harry drops the circle and Toot scoots. He returns as promised, revealing that pizza was delivered here last night to, quote, mortals sporting, unquote, a brilliant sexual euphemism. Monica Sells' case seems to be exactly as open-shut as he thought it was. Victor probably did, in fact, simply leave his wife and kids. Toot then ceases to be helpful and abruptly leaves, having fulfilled his obligation. Oh, hey there, man with a naked sword. You're walking toward me and seem to be earnestly sentencing me to death for breaking a law of magic. This is my nightmare! Chapter 7, Morgan and the Sword Harry resists the impulse to reduce the source of his fear to a smoldering pile of ash, and instead reminds Warden Morgan of the White Council that the fourth law applies to humans, not fairies, and that it wouldn't count anyway, as the fairy had a choice. Morgan finally realizes that technically no, Harry hadn't broken the law, and calling a meeting of the council to press the issue was hardly worth it. Morgan puts the sword away. Harry attempts to politely excuse himself, and Morgan tries to stop him, putting his hands on Harry. With Morgan's sword of office safely stowed in its scabbard, Harry punches Morgan's bully face. Morgan realizes he'd ended his official business and had made it personal. Harry was technically, again, not doing anything wrong. But Morgan is convinced that Harry was the sorcerer who had committed the broken heart murders. Harry denies it and attempts again to politely excuse himself. Morgan takes the opportunity to punch Harry in the face, 
and walks away, telling Harry, I'll be watching you. I'll prove that you killed those people. Which brings us to the context section. Here we discuss the series' overarching plot, groundwork, character intros, world building, as well as any meta aspects, mythology, callbacks to other books, foreshadowing, and theory. Chapter 6, Toot Toot and the Pizza Truck. Okay, first things first, this is the first magic circle we see being cast. Harry draws it in the dirt and camouflages it with leaves. Now in future books, much ado is made of sweeping and cleaning magic circles before use. It is emphasized that if anything crosses the circle, it will break it and disrupt the magic. Now, is this a contradiction? When asked, Jim has said basically that the leaves didn't break the circle because it's all nature. And at first glance, this seems a little weak, but it kind of jibes with the demonstration in Cold Days, book 14. On the hilltop at Demon Reach, objects crossing Lily's circle do not vaporize if they are of the island, and most of Harry's other circles are of the man-made copper ring variety or improvised chalk circle variety. And it makes sense that random objects crossing these circles would break them. Ultimately, I think it was some early series weirdness uh, explained later fairly well. And that's my take. But this chapter is not about magic system mechanics. In this chapter, we meet Toot Toot for the first time. He's a dewdrop fairy, a wild fae, not a vassal of either winter or summer. And he knows the local spirits, so he'll know or know someone who knows what's been going on here at the lake house. Harry draws the circle and sets a trap for Toot Toot, putting milk, honey, and bread, dipped with a little drop of Harry's blood, onto a tiny tea set. Harry hides and begins to whisper Toot's true name, a lovely string of syllables that sound nothing at all like Toot Toot. Harry waits, minutes go by, but then the fairy flits toward the bait. Toot is six inches tall, gorgeous like the she, with dragonfly wings, a silver nimbus of light, and a wispy magenta dandelion hair thing going on. Toot dips the blooded bread in the honey, and as he consumes it, the circle snaps shut. Panic! He flies at the invisible barrier, and he's trapped, knocked on his ass. Jim only has him smack into the circle once, but in my head, this is the part where the prisoner usually makes several escape attempts, you know, whack, 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 to comedic effect. Would have been an easy laugh, but Jim decides to give Toot the presence of mind to not waste his energy, and I like that. Harry emerges from the trees, and Toot is livid, promising all manner of pain if he is not released. Harry's tricked him before, and the trouble is Toot's attention span and memory aren't top-notch after a couple hundred years. In fact, he talks as though he was in the area before European settlement. Okay, I can't wait to hear the shade that I get from my Toot Toot voice. Quote, <clears throat> I remember the folk who lived here before you pale, queasy girls came in, and they never complained about ulcers. Unquote. And that's not the last time this episode, so come at me. Anyway, Harry, calm and non-threatening, asks, please has anyone seen humans in the house recently? 
Now eventually Toot realizes that he can't retaliate until he's freed, and he's not in danger, and the wizard isn't asking much, and the offering was pretty good. Realizing that he's been bested, Toot deigns to grant Harry his request. So he gives Harry his word he'll get the info in exchange for the honey. Stifling a snigger, Harry remarks upon Toot's kindness, and Toot puffs himself up royally and says, quote, It is my nature to be both benevolent and wise. Unquote. So hilarious. I want one. No, seriously, guys, I love Toot Toot. Um, I'm terrible at picking favorites of anything, but Toot's my boy. He is confident and brave and delightfully innocent. Uh, one of the best character arcs in the series on par with Butters. Toot grows more and more important in the epic events of Harry's story, and at the same time, he grows in stature, now 18 inches tall, despite all his efforts to stay small. There's a great passage from Cold Days, book 14, quote, Toot, I said, have you grown? Yes, Toot said, disgusted. Even though I stand around with weights on my head for like 20 whole minutes every day, I'll even got laundered twice and nothing. Unquote. I, I love him. Jim has confirmed in interviews that Toot is growing because Harry is dragging him further and further into the fray. And the more major a player he becomes, the taller he grows. And he's clearly destined for big things. I'm so sorry. Okay, soon enough, due mostly to regular bribes of pizza, Harry will no longer require the ruse of a circle trap to call on Toot for information and aid. Toot and the rest of the pizza beneficiaries eventually swear fealty to Harry, who is known thereafter as the Zaw Lord, and they are the Zaw Lord's guard. Um, as the Winter Knight, the Zaw Lord's guard become de facto vassals of winter. So I wonder lots of things about Toot. Will we ever get to hear his name? Will Toot ever be as big as his unseelie cousins? Will being associated with winter change Toot, making him more cold and savage? Will I have to curse Jim for either making him a bad guy or killing him off someday? There is some foreboding foreshadowing. I don't like that phrase. I won't use that phrase again. Um, ominous. Ominous foreshadowing. There. Better. In Turncoat, Book 11, Harry has enlisted Toot and the Pizza Patrol to battle with him on Demon Reach. The job he gave them was dangerous, sure, but no one would be specifically gunning for the tiny fairies. They weren't supposed to face any of the bad guys. Harry was in dire straits and about to be annihilated by the Nagloshi he'd dubbed Shag Nasty, when Toot takes it upon himself to defend Harry. Now this is a little bit of a long passage, so I'll be skipping bits in the middle. Quote, I prepared the blast that would burn the life from my body as I unleashed it. Then there was a blur of light and something darted past the Nagloshi's back. It tensed and let out a snarl of surprise, whirling away from me to stare after the source of light. Its back, I saw, bore a long and shallow wound straight across its hunched shoulders, as narrow and fine as if cut by a scalpel. 
or a box knife. Toot toot, whirled about in midair, a bloodied utility knife clutched in one hand like a spear. Avant, villain, he cried in a shrill, strident tone. Then he darted at the skinwalker again. Unquote. So they keep going at one another, and Toot keeps slicing, one step ahead of Shagnasty's blows, until he wasn't. Harry yells for Toot to scram, and the Nagloshi seems to cast some kind of wind spell, and, quote, hammered Toot's tiny body from the air. He crashed into a patch of blackberry bushes at the edge of the clearing, and the sphere of light around him winked out with a dreadfully sudden finality, unquote. Don't even think about it, Jim. This cannot happen. I will literally cry. Okay. Chapter 7, Morgan and the Sword. What to say about Morgan here? From now until Turncoat, book 11, every time Morgan appears, he is plated in such a way that we hate him. But it's mostly a green eggs and ham situation. Perfectly edible food made to look unappetizing. We learn eventually in Turncoat Book 11 and the microfiction journal that he has fair and decent reasons to be writing Harry so hard. And this is the other reason I chose the title Both Benevolent and Wise. It's a small stretch, but it still fits, I think. Morgan is being wise in his caution and mistrust. He knows how powerful Harry's mother, Margaret, was. He knows the dark fate Harry could have due to his starborn nature, being touched by destiny, able to affect the outsiders like other wizards can't. He knows the depravity of Justin Dumorne, Harry's abusive foster father slash first magical tutor. How much of that evil was taught to Harry, nay, programmed in, embedded in those formative years? And Morgan doesn't believe that Dumorne's demise by Harry was entirely self-defense. So what would you do if the potential Antichrist kept getting off on technicalities? You'd wait and watch to catch him slipping, that's what. Now that may not sound very benevolent, and he does bully Harry. But I think that Morgan's benevolence is not for Harry. It is the sacrifice of dedicating and even giving his life to protect the world from evil wizards, which he is convinced Harry is one. So, side note, I love that Harry just socks Morgan in the mouth the moment he can, and I love that Morgan gets him back, like, ninja quick, each determined to knock the other down a peg before the pissing match is over. You know, like, my magic staff is bigger than your magic staff. Morgan's is totally bigger, at least back here in book one. Harry realizes that now he has to find the killer. If not, the White Council will pin it on him. And if that happens, being taken out of Karen's Rolodex will be the least of his worries. Getting caught researching for Karen how the spell was done could kill him. Marcone will never share intel after trying to get Harry to drop the case. Talking to Bianca for more information could land him in jail after Karen's warning, especially since he can't tell her about his wizard stuff. That would prevent him from getting the White Council exculpatory evidence, and he's back to mortal consequences. We see that he is fucked six ways from Sunday. 
giving us the central conundrum of the story and bringing Act 1 of the narrative to a close. So let me know what you think of Toot and Morgan. Leave a comment. I read them all. Arigato, Dankeschön, and thank you all kindly for listening. It means so much to me. Thank you to my supporters, without whom this project would not be possible. You know who you are. Thank you to my inspirations, those literary podcast giants on whose mighty shoulders I attempt to balance. And thanks to Jim Butcher for creating such a thrilling and insightful series, up about which I simply cannot shut. The Never Never Podcast is hosted on Podbean and, drumroll please, iTunes! More platforms coming soon. Please follow, share, comment, tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, and what you'd like to see from me in the future. Contact me at theneverneverpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, I've got two amazing content creators linked below. The first is the YouTube channel, Quinn's Ideas, who does great Song of Ice and Fire and Dune videos. And the other is Star Talk Radio, available on YouTube and in podcast form. Written and hosted by the comedian Chuck Nice and the inimitable Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Check them out. I'll see you next time. Take care.